Welcome to episode 224 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. In this episode, I will be talking to actor Lauren Allen. If you like Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, I hope that you will leave a five-star rating and a comment. Your comments and ratings on Apple Podcasts help new people find the show, or even better. If you know someone that you think will like the show, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I knew told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe to Stageworthy on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. So if you tell someone about Stageworthy, let me know about it. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. As I mentioned, my guest is Lauren Allen. Lauren is an actor and social media marketer in Toronto. This summer, she toured the Canadian Fringe Circuit with the show In Ireland, We Rented a Car from Criminals. rented a car from criminals in ireland we met, rented a car from criminals right yeah. i wouldn't expect you to remember a title like that <laughs> and yet and yet i feel like maybe that's a that's a title that that is memorable enough that maybe i should remember i mean there's everyone gets pieces of it they always get ireland criminals ireland criminals car. yes okay they usually just put them in the wrong order um <laughs> they're like we rented a car from criminals in ireland yeah. close yeah close where did that show come from? Uh, it came from uh, the writer's uh, real life experience, mostly. Mm-hmm. He um, went to Ireland with his wife and uh-huh. uh, had some misadventures with renting a car. Uh-huh. Um, and I think his best friend also went and they also had misadventures with a car. Um, but he is the one who got ripped off. Okay. Not in the same way that we talked <clears throat> about in the play, but he definitely got ripped off somehow. And uh, and and how did you get a lot involved with that? Did you was it just like an audition I posted job on or? Facebook oh. and I was like, I really need a job. <laughs> Someone please hire me. And he went, I'm doing a show. We got the calf lottery. Uh-huh. Oh. Come do this. Yeah. So where did you go with the show at the uh, we went, lottery? We started in Toronto mm-hmm. and then we went to Kingston, mm-hmm. which was not mm-hmm. a wise choice. Um and then Calgary, Edmonton, Victoria, Vancouver. Mm. So it was a long tour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, years ago, uh, I did a, a, a tour with a show, and we did Calgary, and we had some difficulty in Calgary. Calgary was great. It was my favorite. <clears throat> really? Circuit. Yeah. And I think they did get feedback a few years ago that, yeah. the, that the festival wasn't great for the artists for whatever reason, and they really took it in and decided to improve. And I saw that reflected in the city as well, that yeah. they had been receiving feedback that, like... The public infrastructure wasn't very mm. good. And then they took that feedback in <clears throat> and they that's, made changes. That's good. So. Because I think you know, like when we were there, the um, the feedback that, that we would have given was that it seemed to be a fringe that was for the volunteers hmm. at the expense of 
the artists. Interesting. They had all these, like, let's have fun times for the volunteers, and the artists would be like, we're trying to make money. Yeah. Yeah, we so, didn't have that experience <clears throat> at all. That's good. That that's was, good. Um, I had a day <clears throat> in Calgary. Like, we had just come from Kingston. Mm-hmm. And in Kingston, we made, like, no money. Yeah. It was impossible to get an audience out, mostly because Kingston's Fringe <clears throat> is so young. Yes. So that, they that just That is one of the dangers of, of doing a really young Fringe. Yeah. So we had to tell people what a fringe was yes, before yeah. we could even get them to come to our show, particularly. It was like, <laughs> oh, fringe festivals. Yeah. Um, but then we got to Calgary, and our first show, I asked what the box office was, and they said, like, I don't know, 50 people, something like that. <laughs> and I burst into tears. I just, I was like, oh, my God, I can yeah. pay my phone bill? Yes. And my touring partner, Nathan, was like, oh, my God, we can eat not at McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These are the these are the small joys of a fringe touring artist. Yeah. Um, so after and you did uh, Edmonton and then Victoria, Victoria, Vancouver. Okay. Which is strange because Victoria, you miss a week if you're in Edmonton because they overlap. Oh, that's right. So yes. so we had like just kind of came in in the middle of the festival. That's so hard to build momentum. They yeah. should probably because right now. Um, uh, Montreal and Ottawa sort of overlap. Mm-hmm. And they, um, <clears throat> they don't, they've, they've now started saying, if you're doing, if you, uh, Ottawa will say, if you're doing Montreal, don't do us. Or Montreal will say, if you're doing Ottawa, maybe like, mm. uh, yeah. maybe skip because they know that the overlap is hard and, and coming in, in the middle of a fringe is really hard to, yeah. to pick up momentum. And it's really hard just to connect with <clears throat> the other artists because yeah. they have established a rhythm. <clears throat> they've been there. That's right. Um, uh, and Victoria, like at least there is a significant amount of people coming from Edmonton. Yeah. So they have a bunch of mid festival events to kind yes. of promote the latecomers. Mm-hmm. So they do support you as best they can, but it's not a centralized fringe grounds either. So that makes it harder to yeah. get involved and promote. Cause you're just at your venue. You're just, uh, yeah. That's um, hard. And I, <coughs> on the last day of the Victoria fringe, I had to have my appendix out. So had to cancel the show. God damn. And that, yeah, it was, not fun. Did you meet Shane Adamzak? Oh yeah. 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 Did he tell you yes. about his We made so many jokes. I'm sh- yes, about okay. Yes. Both being appendixless uh on tour and how he had his appendix out in Calgary many years ago. Yes. I was uh, that was the fringe I was on when he was like Oh gosh. <clears throat> and we were all the fringe people were like, because we hear that that Kashin didn't have a show at the Calgary fringe. He was just sort of like, oh, he was just there hanging because yeah. he was like between fringes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of us were like, are we gonna have to take up a collection for Shane? <laughs> like, how do we do? But he was smart. He had insurance. But yeah. like, it, there was a story like that people were like, oh yeah, last year this guy from the U.S. came. He had nothing. He broke his leg. So we all just like passed the hat after our shows. Yeah, which is like the. The Framily, right? That's the Framily right there. Definitely. So, what brought you from Saskatchewan to Toronto? Well, um, I I went many different places before I ended up in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So, I grew up in Saskatchewan, Mm -hmm. in Saskatoon. And then I went to school in Edmonton because I wanted to train in musical theater. Mm -hmm. And Saskatchewan doesn't have any programs for that. Right. Um, then I went back to Saskatoon. Then I lived in France for a while. Lived All in right. Paris. All right. And then 
last year in March, I unexpectedly had to come home. Mm-hmm. Um, like my visa had expired and I just went, I can't, I can't live illegally anymore. Right. I tried it for two months and it's terrifying yes. and I can't do it. Yeah. So I came back to Saskatoon with like no plan and I didn't really have a place to live for like eight months last year. And a lot of that was taken up with touring and doing other yeah. jobs, but it was still like, I don't really know where I want to be. But yeah. then I decided, you know, the Fringe Tour, <clears throat> great opportunity to see Canada yeah. to figure out, like, where do I want to be? And then I got to Toronto and I was like, oh, this is it. Here we go. What was it about Toronto that that, that made you uh, think this is it? Um, I have a huge community here, actually. Most of the people that I graduated <laughs> with in Edmonton moved here. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's so, hilarious. Like, really close friends. I ended up moving in with them and, like... So, like, it just felt like everything was falling into place. Right. Um, When I was in Vancouver, I met somebody who was like, oh, I know someone in Toronto who needs someone to work for her. So I had a job before I even moved here. Wow. So, like, it just consistently gave me those signs of, like, everything's falling into place. And it's, I like big cities. Canada doesn't really have any big cities, but Toronto is probably the closest. Yeah. Because after living in Paris, you're like, oh, we don't understand how to do a big city. Our big cities are not, they, we haven't had the time that, say, yeah. a Paris or a London has had to overflow yeah. in the ways that, the, that they have. Yeah. We just don't have the kind of public infrastructure that you yeah. need to have a, a well-functioning <laughs> yes. society of many people. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Um, so just a little, I want to ask a little bit about your... Your theater origin story. Mm-hmm. So you went to, um, you went to, to school in Edmonton. Yeah. But before that, what was it that the why theater? What 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 was your gateway? What made you want to do it for like your life? Um, I was born into a theater family, so my parents <clears throat> okay. both worked in theater. Um, uh, my mom took kind of more of an administrative route uh, after. My parents had children, like mm-hmm. myself and my younger brother. Um, my dad's always been a professional actor. Okay. Uh, for my lifetime, anyway. And um, so I was around it a lot mm-hmm. as a child. And then I did my first, like, paying gig when I was 11. Ooh. And I think after that, I was like, yeah, <laughs> I want to do this. Yeah. Um, but I distinctly remember listening to the Les Mis soundtrack in the car all the time and being just obsessed with it. And I continue to be obsessed with Les Mis. Was that your first musical? First, first musical, yeah. yeah. First musical that you saw or first musical that you heard? First musical that I heard. <clears throat> okay. Because I know there's, like, for me, there's a difference between, like, the Definitely. first musical that I heard, which started me realizing that you could, that there were these shows that were, like, songs that told stories, but with mm-hmm. stuff in between. Um, and then when I actually saw one. Yeah, and I I do remember seeing Les Mis also as a child, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty I'm not sure what musical would have been my first musical, also because I was seeing shows from yes. such a young age because yeah. my dad was in shows, yeah, so yeah, we would go. Yeah. I know I saw Peter Pan at the Globe Theater when I was like really little. <laughs> That's the first theater yeah. memory I have is my dad playing Captain Hook and being dragged around on a wagon as a pirate. Is that weird seeing your dad as the villain? Um, n- not really. I remember a couple of times my mom explaining to me right like this isn't real it's not like it was um probably the first show it might have been peter pan that she was like it's not real he's pretending Mm -hmm. and then there was um he did 
the Odyssey mm-hmm. somewhere. And, it, and my mom was like, your dad's going to be kissing somebody on stage. That's what this means. Well, right, so, right, right, right. <coughs> those are Good the two conversations. Those things explained. Yes. Yeah, I, I recently saw the a Panto, the, the Toronto Panto, mm-hmm. uh, this, this, this Christmas with uh, a co-worker and her four-year-old. Oh, gosh. And her four-year-old was, like, completely, like... This is real. Like where? Yeah. Where did they go? Like at intermission, then the show was over, and she was like, "Where did they go? <laughs> what happened? These yeah. were my friends, you know." Yeah. So it's important to have those conversations, especially when you would recognize that it's your dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you came to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've noticed you do, like social media, I do. Yeah. Um, and also crowdfunding. Oh yes, some, yeah. yeah. So how did you get into uh, uh, social media and how do you, do you do, are you just like, do you coach actors and how to use your social media or what does that entail for you? So I have a social media marketing small business called Social the LA Way, Social mm-hmm. Media the LA Way. Um, and I got into it because of theater. Yeah. Because my first show out of university, I had, uh, I had just been hit by a car actually. So I was recovering from injuries and mm-hmm. I couldn't do a whole lot of theatery stuff that I wanted to do for a long time. Um, And then the summer after I graduated, so I graduated in April, and then in June, July, I was working on two shows at the same time. And one of them I was production assistant, one of them I was a leading role in a touring Mm -hmm. uh, French production. So in my capacity as production assistant for this brand new company, they were like, hey, you're the youngest person in this room. Can you make us a Facebook page? Yeah, I knew that's where that was going. <laughs> um, so I did that, and then uh, and I, I made them, like, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And I got really into, like, the concept of... Um, we were doing a production of Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. uh, outside in parks in Saskatoon. Um, and it was, like, the first kind of show of its kind. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what if all of our Twitter correspondence is from the Cheshire Cat? Mm-hmm. And, like, how do I do that? So I got really into the storytelling <coughs> aspects mm-hmm. of social media. And then uh, I started helping more people in Saskatoon with it. I work with a production company um, called On the Board Staging uh, in Saskatoon still. I've been with them for four years. Mm-hmm. And we do I do all of their social media because the person who runs the company is like, I don't want to learn that. I want to do my job. <laughs> I don't need yeah. to know about Facebook. I need to know yeah. about producing and running a venue and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So now, and when I moved to Paris, I started just helping entrepreneurs in general. So I work with a lot of um, like personal stylists mm-hmm. I've worked with quite a bit or translators, uh, people who don't really understand social media, but know that they need to promote themselves yeah. as a business. Yeah. So I work a lot with individuals, but I... <clears throat> my skills are adaptable to anything. So like I would definitely coach actors. Uh, I would create things for people. Yeah. The most important thing to me is teaching people what they want to know. Yeah. So if they want to have more control, I want to be able to teach them how to run their own thing. Yeah. Um, But if they don't want to learn it, then I might consider, I don't like running a bunch of pages because it's really exhausting. That would be exhausting. Because you have to have like particular tones. You have to know, all of the events that you're promoting, those kinds of things. So it, it can be a lot to run. I currently have 10 pages uh, that I'm an administrator of mm-hmm. on Facebook That's alone. But Yeah. It's, I don't actively engage with, um, I think, four of them. But it's, yeah, it's yeah. still a mm-hmm. lot to manage. Yeah, that is. <clears throat> um, 
for for in general because I think a lot of people have that same sort of like I know I need to be on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, mm-hmm. but I don't know what to do with it. Um, yep, that's accurate. Yeah. Um, if somebody is looking at their neglected Twitter and Instagram pages, what would be the first thing you would suggest for them to do? Um, I, well, I think of social media platforms as languages, mm-hmm. or at least dialects of a language. So mm-hmm. if you feel like you don't understand a social media platform, but you want to, then you need to learn how to speak that language. So there's maybe trial and error in that. There's maybe just a lot of observing. Like if you don't understand Twitter, maybe just scroll Twitter for 30 minutes every day and see what you learn. Um, And you can also do other research, like Googling your questions about platforms. Um, But if something is suffering from pure neglect, Mm -hmm. I would say just... post something just decide i'm gonna post every tuesday i'm Mm -hmm. gonna post every other day whatever just make make that commitment and just do it yeah um because consistency is one of the number one things you need to have in order for your profile to become successful sure the algorithms need you to post for you to be seen Yeah. yeah or they need you to never post like once every three months and then that post will be seen by a bunch of people because the algorithm tries to trick you into buying ads all of the course time. yeah absolutely so absolutely oh god damn it I, you know it always in in terms of like promoting things and stuff mm-hmm. like that um i've become acutely aware of how effective social media ads actually are oh yeah and um, they're very <clears throat> inexpensive compared to any sort of traditional advertising like absolutely. buying space in a program is ludicrously expensive compared yeah. to facebook ads and you'll get in front of the same amount of people if, if not, not more. more and and also like more targeted people and that's that's because i've ads get me like the algorithm works so i'll see stuff and i'm like how did you know yeah and i'm like i clicked on that like i clicked on that i've bought stuff because i saw it often enough yeah so it works you know yeah or even just having something put on your radar like Mm -hmm. whatever company becomes your um top of mind which is really important um when you're thinking of like um like i'm thinking of noom right now which is a food Mm -hmm. uh program diet program kind of thing uh that i used for i think three months but it's because i got a ton of social media advertising about this thing that wasn't really a diet it was a lifestyle change it was a way of thinking it was which it was fine um i stopped using it yeah uh but you know, it worked. Yeah. And now that's the first company that I think of when I think about weight loss other mm. than Weight Watchers. Mm. So. And Weight Watchers is a brand that's been around for like a long time. Yeah. So, of course, it has that that kind of recognition. Mm-hmm. But and Weight Watchers probably doesn't need to do a lot of Facebook advertising. Or no. Whatever. Because they did a bunch of traditional advertising before Facebook was yeah. the means of advertising. Yeah. But it's amazing how how effective that that stuff is. And yeah. I think that we don't give it enough credit in terms no. of like how to get under under somebody's skin for want of a better mm-hmm. way of putting it. And theater companies in particular don't understand how to use their <clears throat> no. platforms, um, which is one of the reasons I continue to do social media yeah. because hopefully someday a theater company will want my opinion on their social media profiles, and I'll be able to tell them like this is. What you want to do, if you want to attract this kind of audience, you need to be in these kind of spaces. Yeah. It's it's hard because I think that if you look at a lot of them, they don't understand it because they're, I'm sorry, but their leadership is old. Yeah. 
That's no, that's exactly the issue. Or at least their marketing leadership is old. Yeah. Um, or they're suffering from like the worst, the worst thing you can do in theater, which is we're doing it this way because we've always done it this way. Yeah. A lot of a lot of um, office <clears throat> environments are like that because it's easier to train someone in a process yeah. than it is to encourage someone to try new things. Oh sure. Um, the risk seems different yeah. in in that way, but really. Um, like I, so many theater companies still do mail outs. Yeah, and it's like you, you should not need to do that. You should give your subscribers the option of opting in email only, yeah. or what you know, like it, the manpower you have to engage mm-hmm. to send hundreds of letters yeah. at one time. Yeah, it could so easily be saved, but it's because it's an old marketing practice that sure. they are like it's effective in X way. They're not thinking about the future. Yeah. I also look at somebody like in Toronto, the Marvis Productions, Mm -hmm. where like, we do buses and we do newspapers and we do like banners on the lampposts, Mm -hmm. which is like, sure, their people are going to see that. But you never know. You never know who. Yeah. You never know um, how effective it is. There's no way to say this person liked it. Or, and also the people who are seeing it, the vast majority are not your audience. Yeah. I mean, Mervish has a much larger audience oh, than most people. Absolutely. Um, and I will say, social media is part of a larger marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. It's not ineffective to do other things. Yeah. It's just like a poster is not a marketing strategy, no. which is a lot of emerging theater artists, especially, and a lot of fringe artists don't understand yeah. that posters are not a marketing strategy. Like putting up posters, the poster should be, what is it, the seventh? point of yes. contact yeah. for um, an audience member, it is there to remind them that they already know about this show. Yes. Yeah. They need to already know about it for a poster to be effective. Yeah. Or they need to know, like at the fringe, they need to know I'm at the fringe. I want to see a show. Yes. And then they can look at the poster and get an idea of what they want to see. Yeah. Um, but pe- people are, they really misunderstand the connection that they have to their audience through different media. Yeah. The other thing I have, my friend Adriana is always complaining about people. She does social media too. And she mm-hmm. was always complaining about the people who are like, oh, I have a new show. I'm going to create a new Instagram for the show. Yeah. And it's like, but that's not going to reach people because that's Cause a temporary it's thing. Yeah. It's new and disposable. Yep. And it doesn't build a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. There are some cases where I would say, um, especially if you have a really clear personal <clears throat> brand, mm-hmm. like definitely separate things. But I always encourage people to make pages for their companies and not for their shows. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, promote all your shows with this one thing. Yes. And then over many years, you will accumulate an audience for you. Like Mm -hmm. anything that you create. Yeah. You'll have an audience for that because they like you. Yes. Um, But if you're doing a one-off for every single show you do, it's like, then you're going to have... 20 Facebook pages. Yeah. And it's and the difference between uh, Sue Edworthy. I used the word, the, she's a, <laughs> a, a, a media uh, publicist in, in Toronto mm-hmm. for theater. And I, I use the term bums in seats yeah. around her. And she hates that term mm-hmm. because it just sort of like means I just need you here for this show. It doesn't build a relationship. Yeah. And in theater, in the arts, we need to build a relationship. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, right? Yeah. That's why the subscriber model exists Mm -hmm. because people are like we have a relationship with you and we want to reciprocate like we want to engage 
knowing that we're in this together kind of yeah. thing. Um, but the subscriber model is also going away. Um, it's hard to keep because I think, number one, there's few theaters that can do it. Only some of the, the ones that have been around the longest mm-hmm. are able to do it because they have a season. Yeah. Indie theater doesn't have a season. We might do a show. Yeah. And you can't build a subscribership around no. that uh, on one show a year. Mm-hmm. And people also can't commit to things <clears throat> that far in advance. Anymore. Sure. They just can't. Say, like, oh, yeah, I will be able to block off this time to see this many shows in a year. Yes. People's lives are a lot less predictable because yeah. they don't have, a like, a 9 to 5 that is completely unchanging all the time. Yes. Um, or a 9 to 5 with consistent children's <clears throat> activities or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, everything is really in flux for a yeah. lot of people. So it's hard to commit to eight months from now I'm sure. going to see this show. But it's possible because if the show is something you re- if, if, that you want to see, then people will do it. Yeah. Like Hamilton, for example. Oh, people yeah. People make, make the time to see that because it's a, a, a thing. I found out today that I'm going to Hamilton. <clears throat> oh, I did you? Cried. How yeah. did you? How did you manage that? My friends bought me a ticket and you didn't have, tell me. You have excellent friends. I know. You have amazing friends. Well, yeah, a friend of mine, she stood in line for three hours to get the cheap tickets on like the first day yeah. uh, that they were released, and then she was over today and we were talking, and I said, "Oh, guys, Mervis just promoted to me on Facebook that there are ten dollar <clears throat> Hamilton tickets in this lottery. Yeah. Like the effectiveness of Facebook marketing yes. right there." I was like, oh, we should get on this. And they were like, we already got you a ticket. I was just like, <laughs> so confused. Yeah. And then they said, yeah, April 15th, you're, we're going to Hamilton. And I cried. Well, there, of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> I found it interesting that they still call the lottery ham for ham. Which oh, is, which was, yes. it's like, in the States that works because. Because Hamilton's, Hamilton's on the $10 on the bill. 10. But in Canada, yeah, it doesn't. But I'll allow it. I'll allow it because. Brand recognition, I suppose. Yeah, but, it's yeah. definitely a branding thing and yeah. not a logic thing. No. And no, those are <laughs> those are very separate things. They can be very separate <laughs> things. Do you know Eldritch Theater? Have you seen their stuff? No. They're like an interesting case in the city because okay. they've um they've over time built this really loyal audience. Like if they haven't announced a show in October. And, like, shortly after that, their audience is, like, contacting them saying, like, what are you doing this year? <laughs> like, and, and a lot of them are not regular theater goers. It's That's like this awesome. incredible uh, story and, like, building uh, a relationship with an audience. And I think they should. I think they should do, like, a case study and do, like, a seminar for people because it's, like. Definitely. Like, it's a rare thing. Because everybody else is, like, where's our audience? And, and their is. audience is like, where's your show? Exactly. Like, yeah. let me throw money at you. Yeah. I'm ready. We have to give them, a, you have to give, I think you have to give your audience a reason to see the show, but they also have to have the opportunity to hear about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, uh, I, when I got to Toronto, mm-hmm. was so tired <laughs> from my life. Yes. So I took uh, a theater hiatus and mm-hmm. I have not been engaging with theater. I was supposed to see um, a show that I really wanted to see mm-hmm. um, that I met the artist at the Toronto Fringe. And yeah. This was a new workup of uh, of their show. And I was like, I really want to see this. And they gave me a free ticket. And it was so great. And I just was in my apartment weeping. Because I was, like, mm-hmm. overwhelmed. And I was like, how am I going to get to the theater on time? Yes, I don't know. Yeah. And my roommate was like, I think you need to call in sick to yes. this going to the theater thing today. Yeah. I think you don't need to do that right now. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. 
But it's hard to say, like, first off, as artists, you don't want to be that empty seat. Yeah, of course. And also, when somebody gives you a ticket, you feel a little bit almost more obligated than if you bought it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because it's like, you know, what if you lost $15 giving me this? That's right. Um, but I just, and then after that, I was like, I, for the rest of the year, I'm not going to try and see theater. Yeah. I'm not going to do any auditions. I'm not going to, I just took a hiatus because I was so tired yeah. from leaving the country that I thought I was going to be living yeah. in and not really having a place to live and all And this. doing a tour? And doing a tour and doing a show in Prague. Yeah. And like, I, I was really all over the place. Like last yeah. year was the most difficult year of my life. Wow. For sure. Yeah. So at the end of it, I was like, I can't, I need a theater break. Um, are you, are you done your theater break or do you feel <laughs> like it's still going, it still has to go on for you? Uh, I'm done my theater break. Yeah. Uh, and it's really hitting me this week. Like I have, I did a self tape this morning uh-huh. and I'll do another one tomorrow. I have another <laughs> one next week. I oh have like, um, and a bunch of bilingual stuff as well. Okay. Um, so it's like double the work of a regular self tape because yes. you're doing um, one of them is different scenes, but one of them is the same scene in two languages. Oh. So it's like all this, all this work, and I'm and I'm trying to schedule rehearsals for a show that I'm in at Alumni mm-hmm. Theater, and I'm just like, I, how am I going to do this? Like, I was thinking, man, if I had an agent, there'd be no way I could do anything. No. Like, if I had somebody else getting auditions for me, I yeah. I would be out of everything. I'd be out of spoons. Yes. Wouldn't be able to do my no, regular you'd have to, job. you'd have to cut back on a bunch of this stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so I was like, okay, I'm ready to be done my break. I really need work. I'm very poor. Yeah. Let's see what I can get. And that, and now it's just overwhelming. Have you had the chance to see anything since your hiatus ended? Or has it just been go, go, go for you? It's just been go, go, go. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have seen i don't think i've seen anything this year the last show i think i saw was elf in saskatoon because oh, wow. my dad was in it oh, and my yeah. best friend was in it so. who, who was your dad he was the um the grumpy new york dad oh grumpy new york dad yeah that's, a, that's awesome yeah which is not like him at all no he was perfect for it <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's awesome um a while back i did a survey about uh crowdfunding mm. i have some pet peeves about the way that theater tends to use um crowdfunding yeah for sure um one of my pet peeves is like the way that we use perks yeah because we tend to look at at crowdfunding as like here's a way for you to to charitably give to us Mm -hmm. you know um and so we we're like i will give you something um (laughs) like you know for five dollars we will we will say thank you on on twitter and for ten dollars we'll put you in the program and for $50, $50, we'll give you a ticket or whatever. And it's yeah. like those two at the beginning, you should be doing that anyway. Like that, that's not, that's not a perk. Nobody gets anything from that, you yeah. know? And so I've often like looked at, I'm, I'm hypercritical of, <laughs> of, of them. And that means like, like I, until I figure out how theater can actively properly use crowdfunding, mm-hmm. I'm very much like, well, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I look at other things. Because they can give you something. Yeah. Video game, comic book, novel, graphic novel, board game, video game, all of these things, luggage, um, electronic devices, clothing, they give you. Yeah. And early access to all of those things. That's right. Um, And theater can't quite. We don't have a hard product. That's right. So we have to create other things that are not theater. Yes. So we have to double create. 
That's right. Um, which and that is can be a hard lot. to follow up on for people sometimes. Oh, it's definitely. Like, but you have to. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I, I sort of like, you know, I, I was trying to get it out of my own personal network, but I didn't quite get a wide, a mm-hmm. wide variety. But looking at the like my first question was like, what kind of crowdfunding ca- ca- campaigns have you backed? And like the second one is live performance. That's in number two. Interesting. However, if you look at all of the other things, mm-hmm. um, board games were actually number one. Hmm. Um, but all of the other things <coughs> sort of outnumber yep. theater because yep. there's so many more of them. So I think it's like a, a false second place thing because mm-hmm. all of the other things that you could possibly support, there's so many more of those yeah. than there are for theater. I only ever see medical <clears throat> um, crowdfunding campaigns other than theater campaigns because of what my network looks like. Sure. I only ever see... and I. For some reason, at some point, got involved with someone who created a, I don't know, a form of garbage disposal. Okay. At some point in their crowdfunding journey, and now I get updates about it all the time. (laughs) And I'm like, I guess I know about this weird trash bag now. But that's that's the only stuff I ever see. I've never... I've never just happened across sure. uh, like video games or board games. I've looked at them as research, but oh, I, they but they, they don't come up in advertising. They all one hundred percent find me. Yeah, electronics, <laughs> board games, video games, they all find me. Good for them. The algorithms. They all, I'm like, <laughs> but the interesting thing is, um, and I think that theater sometimes we forget this. Like, I don't back one of those because I I think it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I back it because I want it. Yeah. And minimum, I will give $50. Interesting. And happily get whatever that thing is if I can. Yeah. So here we are like, we're giving thanks. We're thanking you for for perks. And what what people really want is a thing. Oh, yeah. They definitely want a thing. Yeah. It's a matter of how do we give them a thing. I think the $5 thank you option is mostly for people who are really broke and want to help you. Yes. Like, that's that's for your friends. Yes. It's not for the people outside of your circle. Sure. For sure. But it is sort of like, it's sort of a... I sometimes wonder about how that makes us look to people who are thinking about backing things who maybe are not like... Absolutely. This is... This is I think it's it a makes risk us to undervalue small, yourself. small potatoes. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it, it depends on the project and the campaign mm. and, like, there's so many factors that go into it. Like, what can you offer? Um... But you definitely have to offer something. Yeah. You have to give people something that's like an experience. Or like there was a crowdfunding campaign that I worked on recently where one of the perks was you get to go on a hike with the crew and cast of this. Oh yeah. Um, of this uh, YouTube web series, you go on a hike in BC with them, and I was like, "See, that's a cool because it's an experience." Yeah. Um, I think we initially had like a drive through Vancouver with this actor who drives really recklessly oh, no. <laughs> from our show. And then we were like, eh, liability. Yeah, it's, uh. it's not like a big liability there. Yeah. But so, yeah, trying to find something that you can give someone. And in <clears throat> when you're in performance, yes. it's really hard because you don't have a physical product. And this is something in Saskatchewan that we struggle with a lot because one of our funding bodies called Creative Saskatchewan mm-hmm. is supposed to fund all arts um, practices. However, their focus is on um, like marketing and generating profit. 
and theater does not generate profit. Yeah. Um, we also don't have a product to sell. Yeah. Um, other than the show. So they ask for information that or data that we can't possibly have. Right. Um, they want they want to invest in like um, promoting a book, like if you're going on a book tour yes. or yeah. or a CD launch or you know th- those kinds of things. And it's like, well, in theater, our, <clears throat> we have our performance. Yes. And like, <clears throat> that's what we do. Yeah. So those reconciling those two worlds of like the marketing yes and live performance the nature of it it's it's really difficult yeah it's not i mean the the problem is that i think the the easy way to do the crowdfunding is to do those like we'll give you the thank you and the thank you and maybe a ticket and like a poster we'll sign a poster sign a poster poster, drink tickets tickets. you know that sort of thing these are simple things Mm -hmm. that we can do (laughs) but we could also be a lot more creative it's just i think timing because we know yeah. the show's coming up, we shouldn't be doing this when we're performing. Yeah. <laughs> One the the other problem with the nature of theater is that all theater artists have to be marketers. Yes. And it's yeah. like you know it, that's not actually our job. Like I was thinking today about you know the self tape I did. It, I had to rattle it off because I have so many other things going on, and I'm yeah. like, I just would like to really sit with this monologue. Yeah. Like it's really good. Yeah. I want. To get into it and go, oh, yeah, what what am I experiencing in this moment? How do I communicate this to my audience that this is the struggle I'm having? Yeah. I want to sit there and have all of the time to dig into all that meat. And I don't because I have to work in a coffee shop to pay mm-hmm. my bills. And I have to audition for six other things. And yes. I have to figure out my schedule to be in a show. Yeah. And, like... I can't give up any work time because yeah. I'm so broke, yeah. but I want to be in shows that do not pay me. Yes. So yeah. it's like, I don't, there's no actual space for us to just be theater artists. No. We often have to be producers uh, and marketers and yeah. whatever else. We do. I think a lot of us, like marketing is, is, is intimidating to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I know every year when, when the fringe comes around, there's a lot of people running around going like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was really um, impressed with my touring partner mm-hmm. this year for the fringe. Cause he, at one point when we were in Kingston, he was like, I got, we got to do something cause our ticket sales are terrible. Yeah. So he just like walked into the radio station and was like, Hey, I'm doing a show. Can I talk to someone about it? And they went, yeah, we'll put you on air right now. Are you ready shit. to go in 30 seconds? And he did a, like a beautiful wow. little, I think it was two and a half minutes at the most. Yeah. But like he just went out there and he did it. And a lot of people would have been afraid to do that. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Now, because I hear that, I'm like, oh, that's fucking ballsy. Yeah. That takes a lot of, that's that takes something. Yeah. But also the pressure of having no money. Yes. Like we literally made $250 yeah. each for two weeks of work. That's a lot so, of work. So we yeah. were going, ah, ha, ha, yeah. how are we going to eat on this entire tour? We yes. still have like two and a half months of. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the whole marketing thing is, is theater school never prepared any of us for that. Theater school prepares us for nothing. <laughs> theater school is a trauma center, and then you leave. Yeah, often, <laughs> yes, yes. I often, I think, I've often thought of. I mean, yes, it is a trauma center because suddenly we're like 
sometimes we're traumatized and sometimes we're learning things that we're not prepared to learn and all this stuff. Yeah. But also for the longest time, the, most theater schools were not addressing the fact that when you leave here, you are probably going to have to self-produce. Yep. And so maybe we should give you some tools to do that. Some of them are now, but like... Yeah, there's a lot of changes. And I will. I do want to clarify mm-hmm. that like I had a good experience with my program. Yeah. I was also traumatized by yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but I... I had a good experience um, mm-hmm. because I came in at a time of transformation and change yeah. that prepared me for the world of we don't really know what we're doing. Yes. Um, yes. So that was good. Yeah. Uh, and I made a ton of great friends and it was great for all those other things. But yeah, theater school doesn't prepare you for um, what actually happens in the world now. It prepares you for maybe the ideal universe where you get to be an actor. Yes. Forever. Yeah. When I, when I was in theater school, they were like, it was often like, well, you know, if you fail, you could always do a show at the fringe. (laughs) This was was in the nineties, but like this early, early nineties, but like fringe was not a thing. And the idea of people, um, producing for themselves was not something that was uh, a big, like common. Yeah. So, yeah. But people have to define their own success. Sure. So if you decide that fringe is not successful Mm -hmm. for you, Okay, so what is success for you? Yes, you yeah. go pursue that. Have a great time. Yeah. Other people, like, I can't imagine spending my whole year touring. I can't imagine that being my life. Like, I think I would explode. And I really experienced this summer, like, a disconnect yeah. from a lot of things in the Fringe circuit. I was mm-hmm. like, this is not the kind of work I want to be doing. Right. Um, I would not do a Fringe tour again unless I was promoting my own work that yes. I, like, felt really strongly about. Yeah. Because when you get to city number five you're like how many more ways can i tell people to come to this show that i didn't write that's the thing that's one of the things is like (coughs) the 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 way that you feel about a show you created is so much different than a show that you were hired to do oh yeah and although you can really appreciate the show that you were hired to do you were never going to be quite as invested in it and so it's harder to on city number five when it's hustle Mm -hmm. It's hard to be enthusiastic about that. Yeah, because you're like, I just, I don't, I don't have any more arguments for this because no. I'm not, I don't have that fire underneath me of like, I created this thing and everyone needs to see it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and I always tell people when they're embarking on producing, mm. I'm like, no one will ever care about this as much as you do. Yeah. Literally no one. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're your partner or your parents or yeah. your best friend. Like, they love you and they support you. They will never be able to care about your thing as much as you do. Yes. Yeah. So, so like, that, that would be the only circumstance under which I would tour again. Because yeah. then I would have the fire. Sure. Um, and I wouldn't be angry all the time probably (laughs) but you would probably still be quite exhausted by city number five yes yeah it's not that it wouldn't be tiring it's just i would i would want to go out and promote it yeah i do find because you know i've I've done a couple of tours but you know touring my solo show to a couple of cities just doing it in toronto um by the time fringe ends i'm exhausted yeah and then you have to pick yourself up Mm -hmm. and try to get to the next city and have that same energy that you started the first fringe with. Mm-hmm. And you it's harder and harder to do that yeah. as you go along. Yeah. It was I it was an interesting experience to have the last city mm-hmm. be um 
immediately post-surgery for Mm. me because we had so we canceled our last show in victoria and our first show in vancouver we canceled and we used that time to completely restage the show so that i wouldn't have to carry anything for right right Um, because initially i was moving like all the set pieces which were not Mm. enormous but it was still like carrying two chairs we made it so that i only ever carried one chair at any given time um and that allowed the show to have a new life for I think both of us mm. um, and in the way we were promoting it too. Like I didn't want to promote that I had just had surgery because I didn't, I didn't want people to no. be like, she's going to fall over and die in no, the middle yes, of the show. Yes. Um, sometimes we would say afterwards, like we just had surgery. It would really help us if you like got you people to come people to the show. To to the show? Yes, yeah. um, and we actually did super well in Vancouver. That's good. Um, but it was interesting how the, like, because we were dealing with such a, crappy thing yes it it made the show better or at least yeah. it made it different yeah 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 that's uh i don't know you and shane both with your our appendix with your appendixes yeah that's like oh i can't i know that because after he had his out he was still like recovering it had somebody well, else stand in for him he had the old surgery I had the new surgery. So his surgery involved a lot more actually cutting him open. Oh, yes. Yeah. Whereas my surgery was laparoscopic, which means they just, they make three small incisions, they put in a camera, and Uh then they, like, suck the appendix out. Right. So my scars are very small. Yeah. I had, like, like two weeks of recovery. Yeah. Um, It really wasn't that long. I, the, the struggle with doing the fringe was that I couldn't risk bursting any stitches. No. Yes. That was that was the only risk factor. Yes. But like otherwise I was able to eat normally. Yeah. I could I got tired really quickly, but I could do the show. Yes. It's just yeah. afterwards I would be like, Nathan, you have to clean up the stage. Yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> um but, but yeah, they, so, they cut Shane open. Yeah. Yeah. Shane yeah. probably would have had like six weeks of recovery overall. Yeah. He, in an ideal world, yeah. he did have somebody else like do his tag. <laughs> Like I also had someone else yes. do my test. Nice, that's very smart. That's yeah. when you can do that. Um, what's the show that you're doing in Alumni, by the way? Um, it's part of the New Ideas Festival. Oh. Uh, it's yeah. called Alpha Betty. Okay. Um, yeah, I got onto it because someone that I met during Fringe was like, come audition for this thing. Come nice. audition for my show. And I'm not in his show. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm excited to um, just do something after yeah. not having done things for a while, even though it's with like a community theater. I think it'll yeah. be a good way to meet people who are emerging writers um, and other actors who are maybe new to Toronto. New Uh, Ideas is super good for that because it is like new-ish writers and um, sometimes new directors. And and, uh, it's a great way to to sort of get in on, on, on a new show. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm excited to do it. Um, I'm, we like, I confirmed, I think last week that I'm doing it and we have our first, meeting of everybody on monday and i'm just caught up in the schedule stress right now because that's been all the emails of like when can we meet and no one can meet there's five of us in the show no one can meet at the same time it's so hard i mean i've been in three person shows where nobody can get together so i've i've made a schedule for um i stage manage les basseurs as a community production in saskatoon so that's 15 actors (laughs) and 
and community. Yeah. So so everyone has a different job. And yes. It was like, like it was a nightmare. I can imagine of scheduling. Yeah. So I know I know there are things that can be done. Yes. And it's like you know what we just won't have this person on this day. Uh-huh. That's fine. Yes. They'll be in next week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at with that show right now. Yeah. It's just scheduling. What's the? I mean, in 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 all of your your travels, mm-hmm. and and you came to Toronto. And it was the you wanted to be in the big city, and what's what's the thing that you have noticed that is most unique to the Toronto theater scene? Oh well, because I've been on hiatus, I'm not sure I know how to respond to that. I think. Um, I find it astounding that big theaters don't accept email submissions. <laughs> I'm like, how very dare you? Yes, like, it's an yeah. accessibility issue. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. Like, I think that's a really up your ass way to be, to yeah. be honest. Um, and there's a real lack of communication because oh, yeah. there's yeah. an overwhelm of communication. Like, people will get, I don't know, 700 submissions for things. And so... As an actor who's trying to like get out there and build relationships, you hear nothing from yes. anybody unless yeah. they really want to see you for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and they probably won't really want to see you unless they have some sort of connection to you or your work. And how do you get that connection when yeah. you can't see them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I find I find that really mm. odd, mm. just the lack of communication. But I think but it's because everyone's overwhelmed. Like there's there's so much opportunity in this city, but there's also yeah. so much competition. And you're just sort of like at the beginning of like the year, like off your hiatus, getting like a, a slight sense of, of, of how much is going into things. So yeah. I wonder how, how, how crazy it is for other people. Yeah, I, I do not know. I'm also um, looking for opportunities across the country because yeah. I'm happy to go to other cities and have those experiences. Um, so I really see how in other communities people will mm. um, take the time to actually talk to you. Because they're not dealing with right. 700 submissions. Yeah. They're dealing with maybe 30 yeah. for a cast of 10 or whatever. Since Because you've done so much traveling, mm-hmm. do you find that it's easier for you to pick up and go somewhere else? Oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. People often comment on, like, my packing ability. Yeah. Oh. Because <laughs> I have lived out of a backpack and a small duffel bag yeah. for months at a time. I'm just like, yeah, I don't need stuff. Um, that was also a necessity living in Paris. My first apartment was 12 meters square, mm. which is like about the size of this room. Yes. Was my whole apartment. Your whole apartment. My toilet was in a corner and separated from the rest of the room by a curtain. Mm. Um, immediately next to the sink that you could barely fit two hands in. <laughs> like you could not wash your face in this sink. It was right. so small. Wow. Uh, and then the shower was next to the kitchen sink on the other side and then the front door. Wow. Like that, that it's uh, it's called a chambre de bonne, which is like maid's chamber. Yes. So that's like the sh- the shut away room yes. kind of thing. Um, so living in spaces like that, you you can't have stuff. <laughs> like there's you don't you don't get to have things. No, sorry, there's no room. Was so, there even? I guess like is in a room like that. Is there even room to unpack, or do you just have to like live out of your duffel bag? I unpacked. Yeah, I unpacked because there was a wardrobe, uh, yeah. like a cloth wardrobe in that room. And right. they also had, I rented it furnished, and they had installed um, pretty good uh, 
cabinets in the walls. Okay. That's so good. there was space to put things on the walls. Nice. Which is That's not good. always true. No. But when I was living, um, the first month I was there, I was living with my boyfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And his apartment was 11 meters square. But his bed was on top of his bathroom. So it uh, felt like there was more space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but just having my two suitcases full of the entirety of my possessions, two suitcases in his apartment, made the apartment so small it, was, oh, wow. it became impossible to do anything wow um so the first month of our relationship there were a lot of like arguments about uh first month of our relationship while i lived there I mean, yes there were lots of arguments about like the space and yes. i was like yeah. i'm trying to find a new apartment but i need to have a bank account because yes. france is the bureaucracy there is ridiculous well, so they've had was, a long time to work on their bureaucracy oh, yeah. but <laughs> it's, it's so much worse than all the other european countries like wow. france has a reputation for their wow. bureaucracy mm. Um, like you have to have a bank account to get an apartment, but you have to have an address to get a bank account. So someone has to give you their address to use to get your bank account so that you can get an apartment. It was a whole. Wow. And, um, when I transferred my first rent payment, I wire transferred it from my Canadian bank account Mm -hmm. because they allowed me to do that at this agency that I rented from, but they took $8.50 of the transaction fee instead of adding that to what I was sending. They Mm. took it out of what I was sending, Mm. which I didn't anticipate them doing. I thought it would be added on. So then my rent was like five euros short. They wouldn't give me the keys. Did not let me move in until I paid the difference. And I was like, I... Wow. (sighs) Clearly this is just an administrative thing. I can... Get so it's a simple. Euros. It's a simple matter. And they yeah. and they were like, "Well, we need you to write us a check." And I was like, "I do not have a bank account. I cannot." So I had to get my boyfriend to write a check no. for this very small amount of money. And wow. it, like, so that's you know, there's no, there's not a real human component to no. the, the. They're like, "This is the process. Yeah. You must do it." Mm. And you're like, logically, we could work this out very easily without the process. <laughs> and they're like, no, no. No, the process. The process. Yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you're like, you could get up and go if you, if you, if you needed to. If I needed anywhere. to. Yeah. I wouldn't want to necessarily. No. Um, I like that my goal for this year is to stay in my apartment for yes. a year. Yeah. I have never lived anywhere longer than a year since I moved out of my parents' house. Wow. Even if I'm in the same city, I'm always moving apartments. And I'm like, I would like... That's a tough way to live. I've done that. And that's not... That's exhausting. Yeah. And it wasn't my plan. Like, every time I moved into a new place, I was like, I'm going to stay here. And then circumstance would happen. Like, breakups or getting together with someone or what... You know, all those reasons to move. Um, (laughs) You're living with a crazy person. (laughs) Like... Um, so there's been a lot of moving in my life yeah. and I'm like, what if I could stay somewhere for three years, wow. for five yeah. years? Like what, what would that be like? Yeah. Cause I, I look at my, my friends and, uh, my partner and, and I'm just like, you, you guys have like things yes. in your house yes. and like you have comforts that I have forgotten existed. Those are comforts that, that, that come from not having to pack everything up every yeah. year. Cause, yeah. it, cause it's like you know, if I'm gonna get a really nice like loofah or something, I'm not gonna pack that if I have to pack urgently yeah. and move urgently, you know? Yeah. Because, because I'm like, whatever, I can just buy another one. Yeah. But then I end up just not having one. Yes. Yeah. I don't have like nice moisturizers because <laughs> it's hard to take liquids on a plane. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I have like a list of things that's um, 
just like uh, quality of life things, like sure. a jewelry stand. Because currently all of my jewelry's in bags, like yeah. little and like they're cute bags, but the, everything but gets tangled. Bag. Yeah, <laughs> it's not very practical. Yeah, and I'm like, what if I had a stand that I could hang necklaces yeah. on, and they wouldn't get tangled? Like that, the thought of that simple, simple comforts, simple comforts. But yes. it hasn't yeah. occurred to me for so long because <laughs> I haven't had a place to do that. So it's yeah. So I'm really yeah. hoping that um, also the apartment I live in is rent controlled. So I would love oh, to live there well, forever. Yes, yes. <laughs> Original hardwood flooring. Yes, please. <laughs> Just as a as a as, as a person who lives in Toronto, yes. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's ridiculous. No, I love my apartment. I love it. I would be happy to be there forever. Like, I have two roommates. They're both excellent. And I love them. And, it, like, I have everything I could want in yeah. this apartment. Well, then... So I'm going to like be Like everybody forever. else, it's like you're going to be there forever. Yeah. That's the thing. Everybody I know in, in Toronto is like, I have an apartment. I'm never leaving. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah. Why would you? You'd be foolish, too. Yeah. <laughs> Laura, thank you so much. It's been a good conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been a Homebody Productions production.